Hey guys, welcome to episode number 74 of the Mimi B Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mimi Bouchard, and you're listening to the Mimi B Magazine podcast, a lifestyle podcast all on health, relationships, sex, career, and self-development. This podcast is designed to entertain, inspire, and to motivate you to become the best version of yourself possible. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey guys, today I'm here with Holly Rubin. She is a psychotherapist, body image specialist, and mental health practitioner here in London. How are you doing today, Holly? Doing well, thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I love talking about body image and health and just wellness in a whole. And I think obviously, since you're a mental health you know, specialist and practitioner, you'd be perfect to have on the podcast to discuss everything about the topic. Thank you. So let's just start off with a little bit about yourself, actually, to get the listeners to get to know you a little bit. Um, you know, how did you get into this field and what's your favorite thing about what you do? Um, good question. So I, I probably started very, very early. Um, again, being from Montreal, Canada, we were a big group of friends and as girls do, we did a lot of talking and we, looked and tried to figure out all kinds of issues and problems. And I, I don't know, I was sort of designated as the resident therapist. Um, I think it helped that I had that in my family as well. My mother's a marriage and family therapist and, um, my sister was, is a psychologist as well. So I think we were just naturally able to talk and sort of flesh situations out and and look at them really, um, more deeply perhaps than, than ever other people Mm. would. So you've always been interested in just like dissecting people's minds and trying to find a way to help them. That's so cool. Yeah. Not in like, not in a weird way, but in a, (laughs) in a way of really trying to understand the underlying bit. So Mm. I would always be someone who's, um, attracted to an aesthetic also, or to pretty color or text or something, and would be really excited to talk about that too. But there was also more that I was always really interested in to try to figure out a deeper meaning to something or getting beyond the superficial. Mm. Um, and maybe that almost ties into um, my career that in, that I started in psychology. And then I, um, I wanted very much to work in fashion for a bit. Mm. And so I went and I did a fashion buying and merchandising degree at FIT in New York City and did that for a year and then worked as a buyer in um, at Bergdorf Goodman in, in New York City. Oh my God, I didn't even yeah. know that. That's yeah. crazy. So I was always very interested in, in fashion, hugely, and in clothes and in textures and in colors and, and in a way of trying to invent like outfits and putting things together. So it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, the latest label and the latest brand in my time, that wasn't as big a thing. And especially in Canada, we weren't as hooked into that so much, but we were very lucky to have a lot of friends and a lot of family who did manufacturing and we would get to go up to factories and we would sort of buy in bulk and we would play with clothes and we would just sort of put things together. And it was always about being creative in terms of how we did that. And that didn't necessarily have to have to com- accompany having a lot of money to do that. It was about sharing and we'd swap clothes. And so... I was always into that, 
Um, and, and then when did you switch to doing more of the therapy side of your career? Yeah. So I think, again, as a person, it was something that I just, it was who I was and that I was someone who was interested in talking and listening and, you know, under, and, and, and being there. And I, I think I had a lot of, I was a very sensitive person, so I had a lot of empathy, natural mm-hmm. um, empathy for other people's problems and things. I'm very sensitive to that. Yeah. But I wanted to give, yeah, I wanted to give the fashion piece a go. And so that's what I did. And then... In the industry, being really high-end, um, it takes a very specific person to work in that kind of uh, milieu and yeah. that environment. And um, I think I was saying this t- to you before, both of you, we were all sharing this, that um, that when I was bringing my spreadsheets home, so I was looking for the very creative aspects of the fashion industry and hoping that... Um, working on Bergdorf Goodman's uh, private label that I would have a lot of input in that. But I quickly learned that it was very much um, a buying job is a real numbers job. And it's looking at gross margin and looking at your figures and your sales from last year and making sure that you hit those again this year. So it's very specific in terms of how you buy and um, who your customer is and how you're buying for them. And when I was bringing... I knew that when I was bringing my my Excel spreadsheets home for my husband, who was in banking, to do for me, that it was actually really not the right thing for me to be <laughs> like, doing. Hey, honey, yeah. I want to do these Excel spreadsheets for me, babe. Yeah, but I don't really time. know how to do that. I know I'm supposed to, and that's why I got the job, but I don't really know how to do them. So I knew that that was a bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, and also, you know... People used to say, I don't get it. Like, you're in fashion. Where's the psychology piece in fashion? I'm like, oh, there's a lot of psychology in fashion and the people who are in the industry and what it requires of you and how to do the sales piece. And the sales bit, I always liked. That wasn't, that, I was actually really good at that. But it was really realizing how narrow the focus was and actually how unhappy people were. That, you know, it was a lot about, um, I was, analyzing figures on my spreadsheet but really at the end of the day it was a lot about how the buyers were talking about their own figures their actual bodies and how the conversations in the bathroom and then the conversations at lunch and what we were eating and what we weren't allowed to eat and how much of it and how how is someone going to fit into that size zero that we've just bought four of if they're going to be eating dessert and all of that it was a really um it was a, a difficult environment and I I was right in there with it. And again, I think the aesthetically, because I, I looked the part, so I'm small and I'm petite and I like to dress and it looked that I fit that sort of space. I think my, I, I was um, a little bit healthier in my approach to, to myself and to life and that it started to really wear on me. And I started to get very unhappy around being in that environment. And I knew mm. I needed to do something more holding on to that um, piece still, holding on to the fashion stuff, but in some way validating um, validating what fashion was and what the, the creative elements of it. And I wanted to bring that and I wanted to understand the psychology behind that. So mm. I loved the bag, perhaps someone was carrying, but I really wanted to know about the person carrying that bag. That was important to me. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. And I, I honestly totally agree. I feel like the fashion industry is like the craziest for mental health and body image issues. You know, even just reading a fashion magazine, like as a young girl, you just go through all of these different 
thoughts in your head. You're like, oh, should I be looking like this? Is this like the norm? Like I need to look like this or I have to look like that. And I know from my personal experience, you know, I've definitely had my body image issues and struggles, you know, currently and in the past. Um, And I think everybody does to a certain extent. Um, I'm way better than I used to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I now kind of look at my body as a way of trying to improve it from a place of love. Mm-hmm. not a place of hate and I talk about this on the podcast a lot and I feel like the only times I've ever seen you know quote improvement in my body and my health is when I go at it from a place of love and happiness and gratitude for my body and my my health and my myself but um you know it it took a long way to get to that and I remember being 14 15 years old like all the girls I used to hang out with like we do every crash diet this and that count calories like me too I tried everything all those things yeah every diet yeah and it's it's really a big issue and obviously you know it affects so many women I'm Mm -hmm. sure it affects a lot of men as well Mm -hmm. but as a woman I completely agree like it's it's taken over it did take over my life for a good period of time when I was younger for sure yeah and you just obsess over like 10 pounds you know for 99% of your thoughts are revolve around losing 10 pounds of your weight you know so exactly there's that saying but yep. um how like I know how I kind of got out of that obsessive crazy cycle and I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I still get those thoughts sometimes. And it's like my my weak brain coming mm-hmm. in. Um, but most of the time, I'm, again, like I said, nice to myself. But how, okay, you're a psychotherapist. How do you tell your clients, like, how do, you, how do you, what's like the first step to take when you have this really negative mentality about yourself and your body? Is there like a first step or like, what do you generally advise to them? Well, I think what you said is... Um is very true. And I, and again, you know, kudos to you for being able to recognize that, um, negative way of thinking and to turn that around into an approach where you're caring more about yourself and you're loving yourself. So coming, switching, having that mind shift around coming, uh, from attacking your body and being angry with yourself. And because of that, then being more destructive versus, coming from a place of, you know what, I care about myself and I want to feel good about myself. And because of that, I'm going to exercise, not in spite of that. And I think that's a really important distinction. And it's great that you've been able to make that. And I, I think that's probably my hope for, for all, all people, all young people, older people, girls and boys, everybody does struggle with it. There's no question. It's much more um, pervasive for for girls. And I think what's so tricky about when all this happens is, as you said, probably around 14, when when you're going through puberty and adolescence and your body is changing so much, how that impacts. So, um, getting back to your question specifically, how to um, help with those kinds of things, how to make that mind shift. I think a lot of it comes and again, looking at it through an inside out approach. So as opposed to, you know, the emphasis all being physical and how do I look and how do I appear? When I get to that certain weight. When I lose five pounds, I will dot, dot, dot. Oh my God. The amount of times I've thought that. (laughs) Yeah. I will keep those jeans in my cover because I will lose that weight and I will fit into them again because it's as though everything depends on that. It's, it's, if we're going to put that much emphasis on our value and our self-worth to fit into a pair of jeans that actually probably wouldn't even, you know, look that great anyways, even if you were able to get into them because your bodies have changed and your life has changed and your lifestyle and your, 
your views have changed. So maybe there's a reason that they don't fit anymore is sort of one way to look at it where you can mm-hmm. take some of the blame off of yourself and actually externalize it and make it about the genes sometimes and not necessarily about there being a problem with you for not fitting mm-hmm. them. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, would you suggest if, if someone listening has those skinny pair, pair yeah. of jeans in their closet, what would you say? Throw Ditch them out? Ditch them. Ditch them. Ditch them. Donate them. Yeah, donate them. Exactly. Like, it's not worth it enough because you walk into your cupboard and you see those and that's, you know, you might have 20 pair of jeans, but you might be fixated on those one pair that don't fit you. Um, maybe it's about that pair that doesn't fit into your, your wardrobe anymore. It just doesn't, not because you have so much, but it's just not where you are anymore. So it's again, perhaps a mind shift about that. I have a question. So what if, you know, we have a listener that has these body image issues and has those skinny pair of jeans and they are constantly on a, you know, quest to become fitter, smaller, healthier. Yes. But just like they want to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, would you... Would you recommend that they they stop trying to lose weight, figure out their mindset first, and then try to if that's like their end goal? Or would you suggest just like completely going at it from a different point of view? I always meet a client where they are. So if they are in this space where they need to get into those genes and that's all that they want to do, I need to understand why. I need to see why it's so important that that person fits into those genes. I need to understand the desperation perhaps that they might feel in order to get there. And what I'm going to uncover is a lot more about how they feel about themselves as a person. And that's a lot deeper than choosing, you know, choosing something to wear. Um, So I will always want to know what brings them to that place, why it's so important, what's happened. Has there been a trigger, a specific trigger that's gotten them to that place? Or has it always been, something that has um, been hard for them, that they've always had a had a bad relationship with their physical selves. And that mm. is very much, you know, that happens. I'm not talking about the one odd person. This is a very common story. Um, and so the, the emphasis would be really about understanding, getting to know yourself better, having greater awareness as to who you are as a person, evaluating what your values are, what you like, what you don't like, the kinds of people that you're spending time with. Are they celebrating you for who you are or are they merely looking at you and judging you based on who you appear to be and what you look like? Um, I would say that you would best question the, you know, the environment that you sort of are in and put yourself in. Um, things that you're looking at, things that you're reading, what kinds of uh, what you're looking at on Instagram. I mean, we have to also really look at how much time you're spending on something like a social media and be Instagram. Cause when we look at Instagram, there's lots of research that shows that it's actually the worst, um, the worst piece for our mental health because we spend our time, we're Mm. absorbing imagery so quickly and we're scrolling and we're scrolling and, 90% of the time, if I can say that, we don't walk away feeling great and saying, Mm -hmm. oh, I look amazing after having seen somebody's reel on, you know, how fantastic they look. You don't walk away saying, I'm satisfied with my life. You tend to use that as a means of comparison. And unfortunately, you walk away feeling less than, not more than, or not Mm -hmm. better, better for having looked. So, 
limit your time is the answer. It's not realistic to say I'm never going to go on Instagram again, but it, how can you look with a more discerning eye and how can you be um, challenging in, in what you're seeing? Ask the questions, you know, stop yeah. and say, wait, did that person, you know, how much Photoshopping is going on yeah. there? How much, how real are those images? Um, and also know that you're seeing the highlights, right? You're no one's posting a bad picture of themselves, right? They're posting the best. And, and how much time did it take for that person to look that way before they posted? Are you willing to put that much time into that? And if you are, what are you not doing instead? And might that piece that you're missing out on give you more joy and bring more, you know, more, I don't know, more involvement to, I don't know, your day-to-day. It depends what you value. And I think it almost goes back to pairing things back and saying, what do you like to do? What are you doing? What are you spending your time on? What are you giving your brain, feeding your brain mm-hmm. every day? And honestly, I totally agree. The social media thing, we overconsume at an insane level. Yeah. If you go on your Insta or uh, iPhone settings, you can see how much screen time there is yeah. um, spent yeah. on social media. And it's disgusting. You know, the average person spends three hours a day or something. Yeah staring at social media for me I like to tell myself the excuse of oh it's my job and I'm like no Mimi you know I can easily go on Instagram post a photo maybe check a little update for five minutes a day and be okay but like I and you know what I've noticed when I I have a rule when I do my morning routine and my night routine my phone's on airplane mode or I just do not open any social media at all um, and when I have those days that I accomplish my morning routine and night routine, doesn't happen every day, mm-hmm. but when I actually fall through with it, I see such a big difference in my whole entire day and every mm-hmm. single aspect of my day. You know, whether it's an hour in the morning and an hour at night, just before you go to sleep and when you wake up not checking your phone, it's like a revolution. It's insane. Yeah. And I feel like I'm nicer to myself. I'm more confident. Like, it's crazy mm-hmm. how much difference. And that's like, I feel bad because, I mean, I'm, you know, this isn't my world. I'm not a digital native by any way. So I'm older in that I wasn't brought up with this, right? This is something I'm coming to much later. But our kids and younger generations are struggling with it. And I feel bad. It's not easy to do what you do. If those are your rules and you're able to strict, you know, to stick by mm-hmm. that, that's incredible that you have the I don't tenacity. Do it don't. <laughs> no, no one does, right? I'm not lie. No one does. No, no one does. Yeah. But to even be, to even know that that's what you want to reach, to even know that that's mm-hmm. a goal to try to get to, to have enough self-awareness to say, you know what, I know it's not good for me. I'm, I'm going to screw up. I'm not going to do it all the time. We're human. But, but there is, it's really hard. I think it's so much harder. It's one thing when we would flip through magazines and we would dissect them and look at, and look at them. It is not the same thing as scrolling because you are getting, think about how long it takes for you to just browse through a magazine. It takes much longer than it does to scroll. So you're seeing what double, triple, you know, quadruple the amount of imagery. And that gets into our brains at such a fast pace. And it, it just makes, makes people feel bad about what they look like. And that's not the object. Why are we spending so much time making ourselves feel bad? We need to be spending time working on making ourselves feel good. good. And back then, if you were going through a magazine, it would not be for three hours a day. Right. That's the other thing. You wouldn't be looking at magazines for three hours a day. Social media is addictive. Mm -hmm. But it is, though. It It is. is. We can say it loosely like that, but it genuinely is addictive. And we get a cortisol hit every single time we get a bing. 
how hard is it to say, I know someone's trying to reach me or something's coming through. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to get it. You have to be mega, mega disciplined to do that. And it's, um, it's important, you know, it is important to set the discipline, but at the same time, it's hard to ignore it really. Yeah. And also, I guess, you know, for me too, I, when I post a photo, I'm instantly checking the likes like every minute for at least like 10 minutes just to see how well the photo does initially. And I always delete photos that don't get enough likes, even if I like the photo and it's so twisted and I'm so going to, I'm going to admit it, but it's like, you know, then I can think, oh, but you know, if this brand is wanting to work with me and they see my engagement slow on this and that, so it's like, it's all kind of intertwined for me, which I find so difficult. Um, but yeah, the like thing, it just, it dictates my day. If I post a photo and it gets 10,000 likes, I have a great day. If I post a photo and it gets 2000, I'm like, you know, it, there's this weird itch. I'm like, ugh, like I should have done better. I, you know, but you're so yeah. honest and it's so great that you say that because I'm sure that everybody feels that way. Right. And you're being mm. honest about that and you're saying it, but it's still, um, not making you happy that your mood is going to be dictated by somebody else's value of who you are. I mean, how the hell do they know? And yeah. all they know is what they're seeing and all we're, all they're seeing is what we're putting forward. Right. They're not necessarily seeing your, who you are inside and what yeah. you like. They don't know unless you're really sharing that. And uh, that's, that's the tricky thing about, um, about social media. It really is like, how do people, so we talk authenticity and we talk, it's authentic, being authentic, being, what does that really mean? Yeah. Are we being authentic if we're going on and we're pretending to, you Be know, expose, <laughs> pretend, exactly. right. You know, it's, it's yeah, hard. And it's it, so hard. So yeah. So there's so that piece. We're not going to get rid of social media. No. Clearly. I guess if it's not your, your job, you can delete your social media, which is, you know, doable. Um, but it's hard as well. So what's the other option? I guess the other option is just to change how you see it and how you consume it and just limit yourself and see it as kind of a game and maybe test yourself. Oh, can I not check my phone for an hour and a half when I wake up and an hour and a half right before I go to bed and like kind of just test with yourself? Cause I know for me, I always like, to to do these like personal kind of evaluations at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and I feel really good when I've done well and when I had a good day when I ate really well and worked out and had a really happy day and did a lot of work like when I was when I have a successful day I feel good basically so I like to do these kind of mental checks at the end of the day um but it's hard sometimes because when I don't do these things and I get so like you know anxious and sad so it's like, oh, I don't know. I like, there's so much to it. There's so and, much to it. And and it's true. And you're like everybody else, right? It, it's, it's not uncommon what you're saying, but I guess what I would want to know is how do you define success? What's a successful day for you? What's a happy day? Mm-hmm. You said when I, you, you touched on it. You yeah. said when I eat well. Cause then I feel good. Cause my, what I eat, like I am so sensitive to foods if I eat really healthy foods all day and I'm like, you know, I, I don't forget to pack a lunch if I'm going out that day so I can like eat what I want to eat and I just have a good day of, of nutrition, I feel really good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some people could say that's a little bit obsessive, but I, I am obsessed with health mm-hmm. and I go through it or I, I like to approach it in a loving standpoint or a loving point of view, like I said before. Um, so yeah, you know what? Let's talk about this. Orthorexia. Do you think that's a real thing? Because I, I feel like everybody that's really into health has a smidge of orthorexia. 
I definitely have a smidge of it, mm-hmm. but is it necessarily a really bad thing if it doesn't like consume my life in a negative way and I'm just really interested in the topic? Again, I would want to understand more about where that come from, comes uh-huh. from, right? So I'd really want to know... Um, I think we're all on some level, we are all on a continuum with how we see our bodies physically, how we feel about our bodies, what our relationship is to food. We all, it's one of the things we do most often in a day is we're eating. What's it like to be eating? How do we, what's the inner dialogue in our heads when we are eating? Are we enjoying, you know, are we being mindful in our eating practice or are we being critical you shouldn't have eaten that why did you have that you had carbs last I mean all the chitter chatter that goes on in our brains how how are we approaching food what is our relationship with food and yeah orthorexia I mean it's such a such an interesting thing and it's Mm -hmm. definitely one of it is an eating disorder right it's on the it's on the spectrum even eating disorders it's a more modern newer one Mm -hmm. but we have to be really careful with where we, where that, um, where we sit with that as a concept, healthy is good, right? Overly obsessively consumed by um, being so restrictive in what we're choosing to eat isn't healthy. So again, we have to see ourselves on this continuum and where you fall. And if it's, if it's taking up so much of your um, mental energy, Mm -hmm. and also your physical energy, and if that's dictating how it is you're running your life so much so that you might choose not to see a friend or might choose to, you know, um, I don't know, do something else that could be harmful or something that you want to do if you're not doing it because you're so rigid around how it is you're eating or what you're eating. Well, then I I would say that that's venturing into Mm -hmm. a space that's no longer healthy. Yeah. Right. I look at health and I look at people very holistically and I am never just looking at one element. So I'm looking at, um, again, starting from the inside out, I will look at who you are as a person, what values you have, how you feel about who you are in your community, in your family, in your environment. I'm looking at your, um, how you, how you approach health and health for me means physical exercise as much as mental exercise. It means, what is your relationship to food and how are you approaching that? Um, it means what's your, um, yeah, what's your family environment? What are your friendships like? How do you manage finances in your world? So if someone comes to see me, I'm going to look at them like that and I'm going to target all of those areas so that I have a really good picture of who they are because all of those elements um, your how you're spending your time, how you're spending fun time, how you're spending your money, how you're spending your uh, weekends, what you're doing, all of those elements make you who you are. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, and the ultimate goal is to have a balance in all yeah. of those areas, right? So, and they're never imperfectly imbalanced. Some days you're eating really, you know, you're ga- you're hoping to eat really well, but you don't. You slip and. That's okay. Just you know? don't be so hard it's on okay. yourself. It's mm-hmm. all okay. And I think, you know, when you have different experiences that show you that your body is an incredible mechanism, right? Just separating yourself sometimes from it and just recognizing it as its own um, a vehicle on some levels, how it gets you from point A to point B, being able to be appreciative and really be grateful 
for all of the the activities that it allows you to conduct. And I remember really that really resonated resonating with me after I had children. So I was able to, it was very clear that this body had changed and it housed a little thing and it, it was able to be, um, uh, it grew a baby three times and then it had babies and then it helped. Then I was able to feed them. I mean, it just was miraculous. We hear about that all the time, but I think when you really go through it, you begin to appreciate what it can do and not what it looks like. Cause it's not looking good in those early days <laughs> of after having a baby. I can promise you, you're all, you're leaking and you're sweating and you're, you're not yourself. And that's really difficult to go from, you know, to having yourself, seeing yourself one way and then losing that and seeing yourself as a whole other person. The physical element could be really hard, but then shifting that and being able to say, but look what it's just done for me. And I have a baby to show for it. I mean, it's incredible. So So worth it. So worth it. And for all people who are choosing not to do that, that's a huge, that's a personal choice. It's not right for everybody. But I think that was one time when it was really clear that I was separate from it, that it on its own was able to really do something miraculous. And yeah, so our relationship to our body and all it can do physically is really important to recognize as well. I think that piece. So when you ask, you know, how do you take something away and how do you begin to have perhaps a better relationship with your body than you might be having now? One of it is really recognizing all it can do mm-hmm. and not, it's not there just to look a certain way. It mm-hmm. really is there to, um, to be, to house you and your soul and all those wonderful parts of, you know, the other bits that we don't see the, the non-Instagram pieces mm-hmm. and the non-Instagram stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to give a little tip here. Um, part of my morning routine is, a gratitude list mm-hmm. and I write down I five that. or ten points of I am beyond grateful for and I'll write that down I'm beyond grateful for mm-hmm. and then I'll write something and I'll say because mm-hmm. so you know if it's something body related I will say I am beyond grateful for my strong thighs mm-hmm. because they allow me to walk and run and climb upstairs and I'm so lucky that I have these functioning gorgeous legs you know mm-hmm. what I mean and it's just so, so nice. It's such a nice feeling. Mm. And I think the other thing, you know, talking about body positivity and positive self-talk is, like I said before, something I've definitely struggled with. And the thing that really helps um, is to just break that pattern when you're thinking it. So when you're looking in the mirror or when I'm, I was looking in the mirror, if I'm looking in the mirror today and I'm like, oh God, like need to work on my abs or something or it's like oh there's a bit of like you know I'd like them to look different and I'm starting to criticize myself I then try so hard to break out of that pattern and break out of that thought kind of process and say actually oh my goodness look how you know like look at my stomach like it holds my digestive system and my heart and my liver my kidney and everything it's like look at, you know, my body, it's Mm -hmm. functioning so well and it's like effortless and it's so healthy. I don't have any health issues. Like, come on. Like that is winning the lottery. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So just, yeah, I I know it's hard to like remember in the moment when Mm -hmm. you are, exactly. um, you know, thinking that, but that's something that's definitely helped me. But just kind of going full circle and going back to the healthy eating or orthorexia thing, I think... If you have a problem, and 
Okay, this is how I determine whether or not I have a problem. It's the obsessiveness. So yes, I, I really like to read and listen to podcasts on health and, you know, whatever types of foods that I want to feed my body and this and that. But last night, for example, my boyfriend was eating chocolate and it had sugar in it. It was dark chocolate, but it had sugar. And I've been trying to be like, you know, sugar free because whatever. And I was like, I kind of want a piece. And I was like, okay. I didn't even think twice. I was like, I'm going to have a piece. And I had one or two pieces and I was fine. And I didn't freak out and I didn't, you know, like work out extra hard this morning because I did that. And it, I, I didn't go to the store and get like hundred percent dark chocolate just because I needed that fix. And I just mm-hmm. didn't want to have the sugar. Like I, I wasn't obsessive over it. Whereas in the past, maybe I would have been. Mm-hmm. And I was totally fine. And I literally just thought about that right now. So I don't think I'm obsessed with if I'm having a craving and I give into it, I'm not obsessed over that anymore like I maybe used to be. So that's kind of a good indication whether or not it's actually, you know, the orthorexia thing could mm-hmm. be a big problem is, is if, you know, you're going crazy if you, mm-hmm. if you, you know, don't it's do only, that. It's only a problem if it's taking over, right? So like as you're calling mm-hmm. it, if I'm obsessing about something, I think... Yes, I think that's true, but not everybody is as self-aware perhaps as you are with these things. So a lot of this is happening unconsciously for most people. They're not necessarily aware of that talk that's going on in their heads, right? So um, that perhaps taking that piece of chocolate afterwards would have caused a huge, you know, like you said, maybe a few years ago, you would have reacted very differently to it. I've re- I really come from a place of... of no diets. I don't do mm-hmm. diets. I, I haven't done that since I'm much, much, much younger. And I just, I, I believe that by restricting, you want things more. You know that, that the minute we're not allowed to have something, this is human nature so and it's true. everybody. Every time, if something is taken away from you, what do you want to do? You are going to be determined to make sure to get it. So mm. this notion of if I, when I have a craving and I know when I have them and there are certain parts of just being a woman and going through menstrual cycles, you do have cravings. It's physiological. It's not something we can fight off or it means that if we give into it, it means we're weak. Yeah. No, that's actually not the case. We really do have cravings. And by giving, even the language that we're using, saying giving into it, it, it sounds like we're being defeated. Being bad. Being bad. That notion of good foods and bad foods, I've abolished that. I say, take, get that away. There is no such thing as good foods and bad foods. Foods are foods. They are neutral. Some you might like more than others and, and eat them more if you like them. And yes, they're, you know, sugary snacks. I say go for that as well in moderation, as long as that's not the majority of how you're feeding your body. But to fight it and to not do it only wants you to make it more. And and that's part of being kind to yourself too. It's saying, I really want this and it's okay. If I have it, I'm not going to punish myself for it. And then actually I'm going to be able to move on because that what I've given myself is satisfying. And it's not, it's not, um, what was big for us growing up was everything was fat free, fat free, fat free. It never satisfied. You had to eat like an entire box so of bad fat free too. cookies. Exactly. Oh. To get that. And then the reality was most people will go out and have something that wasn't fat free anyway. So you will have you're not doing yourself any favors. That's good you know? for you. Fat it's, is good for it's you. It's good for good you. Fat. It's good fat, right? Yeah, good, good fats are good for you. Definitely. That's That's gone now. That was a big thing in the 90s. Now it's like all fat. (laughs) And now it's sugar, right? Sugar is demonized. It's totally demonized. A little bit of it is okay. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to screw your whole system up. But yeah, yeah, in moderation. 
it's what you do every day. You know what I mean? And I don't know. Me personally, I just kind of base everything on how does this make me feel. Yeah. So my, I have a very, very sensitive digestive system. If I eat, you know, a cookie every day, I won't feel good. Mm. If, if I eat, you know, a certain way, I won't feel good. And I, I like to thrive and I want to like perform my best. So that's my motivation behind eating well. And I just, that's what I like to do. But I don't feel deprived mm-hmm. most of the time. If I do, then I'll have that bite of chocolate like I did. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've taught myself so much about health. And I've read so many books and I've listened to so many podcasts of, you know, doctors and everything talking about health and what certain foods do to your body that I actually just like, I, if I'm craving something sweet, I'll have some, you know, whatever, dark chocolate or sweet mm-hmm. potato or something that I actually, I would never crave McDonald's anymore. That's mm-hmm. just because, you know, I don't see it as food. But I think, yeah, it's tough. I think if, if you want to be healthy... This is how I've become the healthiest I've ever been is just learning about health and, and not going at it from like a diet perspective yeah. because like we said before, we both done all yeah. the diets under the sun. Yeah. And also health again, it comes in many different forms. It's not, you know, it's not just about what we're eating, right? It's about how we're managing our time. Mm-hmm. It's about how, how much time we're spending on a phone. It's about how much sleep we're getting. How we're it's speaking about to ourselves. How we're speaking to ourselves. Yeah. It's about the, how, when do we see a friend? Well, all of those elements have to be satisfied in order for us to feel healthy. Mm-hmm. So the, the definition can be really widened to all mm-hmm. those things and not merely what we're putting in our mouths, you know? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So true. Okay. What a Charlotte's here, by the way, guys. Made me want chocolate. Yeah. Charlotte, uh, my cousin's here and she's eating chocolate. She's like, okay. It's not just it's a whole I know, it's a whole different kind of chocolate, right? What is that? What is that? I don't I don't even know where I picked that up. Oh, Ombar. Yummy. Oh, it's coconut milk chocolate. Yum. It's good. That's delish. Mm -hmm. It's good. But it's also, you know, we were I can't remember when we were talking about this, but this idea of um health has just taken on such a different kind of, of definition. Right. And, um, I can't remember my point at all, but, um, <laughs> it's changed a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, cause I think with social media, I know why. Okay. Go ahead. I, I know. Why. What I is know it? Why. So see, we have these senior moments when we get to <laughs> our age, but this idea of, um, what is the goal? I think that's from to be able to work backwards, mm-hmm. to know the goal and then to work backwards. And what always, where I always have a little bit of a, a red flag is, are we eating this way because our goal is to lose weight? Is weight the defining factor in all this? And that's something that, that's a red bell for, that's a red flag for me. Because if it's all about, again, being very goal oriented in terms of what the numbers say on a scale, I threw out a scale. I don't know. I don't think I've had a scale since I've had my kids. That We had a scale in our house. I'm I'm sure many did. And every morning people would weigh ourselves. It was just a normal thing to do. I don't have a scale in my house anymore. My kids, I remember going in, they went into their grandparents' house and they were like, why do they have a scale here? And I thought that was so interesting. It's just not something that I have because... I don't believe that numbers on a scale are going to determine whether you're healthy or not. And I think that's so, it's such a dangerous way of, yeah. of being and, and of judging yourself and of um, defining yourself by what numbers say on a scale. And they've actually found that this whole 
idea of, of the BMI, which is how one tells whether they're between, I don't know, 18 and 23, I think it is. Body mass index. Where, yes, it? it's yeah. a huge issue because you have a lot of people who are um, who don't necessarily fall within the quote-unquote healthy BMI, and yet they're still healthy. Their bodies are healthy. They, they weigh more. It doesn't mean that they're not healthy. There's a movement that is big that I follow quite closely called health at every size. And it has nothing to do with how, what the scale says it has to do Mm -hmm. with your, um, your physical self. And people are shamed often into feeling like they're not, um, following, you know, or they don't have the proper weight. They don't have the proper body. That's where the whole body positivity movement came in where all of a sudden it's, you're celebrating a lot being in a larger body. We're seeing huge diversity in body size now. And that all comes from, a kickback, you know, and a pushback around the fact that beauty isn't a size, it's isn't one size. only a size zero and it's not one size, right? Mm-hmm. It's very much opened up. And that's, that's, I certainly didn't see that mm-hmm. when I was, you know, in the fashion industry, you know, years ago, yeah. 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So it's really exciting to see that space opening up and being able to see more representation of the reality of when people can see um, other sizes being represented, they can find themselves, but they weren't able to necessarily find themselves because there was one definition and one image of what was beautiful at the time. And that was a skinny, tall, often white size double zero. That was our very, very narrow definition of what beauty is. And now, thankfully, that's been challenged big time. And, you know, beauty comes in all shapes and sizes and colors and, um, and abilities and all of that. So mm. I think we're in a good space that way. I completely agree with you. I think, you know, every, anybody in any body should be confident and happy that they have, you know, a functioning body, but I'm going to be a bit contradictory here. I love contradictory. There was, I forget the woman's name, Char, let me know if you know the woman's name that was on Cosmopolitan UK a few months ago. Tess Holiday. Tess Holiday. What do you think about this? Because yeah, we've spoken about this. we, okay, let's talk about this because you know, there was one side that's like, oh, it's, you know, amazing. Everybody is, you know, like confident now in their, in their size, even if it is overweight or obese. Um, and then the other side is saying, well, I saw this thing with Piers Morgan. Oops, sorry. Um, with Piers Morgan and he was like, um, it's, it's promoting, you know, like obesity. it's, it's promoting obesity and it's yeah. promoting like cancer risk and mm-hmm. heart disease and, and diabetes, diabetes and yeah. all these things. And yeah. This is so controversial, and I don't really know where I stand with this either. So what do you think about that? It's um, it's a really tough one, it and is. and I understand you not knowing where you stand because I think even the experts don't know where they stand on a lot of it too. It We touched upon it on a bit when we were talking about BMI because that's sort of where it comes from. People are challenging that, and they're saying that I can – still be healthy even though I'm in a body that's technically considered obese, right? Okay, but she is like obese. I know. She's, and, and she's not going to live as long as some people would, I and, think. And she would challenge you if I, I you yeah. know, it, by saying I'm healthy and I'm active and there's no reason why I should not be okay being in this body. And it's a, it's a, it's a really tough one because there's mm-hmm. no question that we have to look at the health components But this movement that I addressed called Health at Every Size says that just because you're in a bigger body doesn't mean you're any less healthy. You can be exercising and you can be taking care of it and you could be eating all the right fats and the good foods and your body just 
is going to just metabolizes in a very different way. And it does have to do with the foods that we're eating too, right? Certain foods get metabolized in a very different way. And it's down to the physiology that we have. And it's also, we set ourselves, we can, the body wants to be at, a, at its own set weight. Okay. So every time you try to lose weight or you accidentally lose weight, if you're in an accident or if you're stressed or something and the body changes its weight, the goal of the body is to always get itself back to its natural metabolic um, uh, thermostat almost. It works like a thermostat and it always wants to go back to what it is. So if you're yo-yo dieting and you're going up and down, your body's losing weight and it's gaining weight it will always go back. If actually, the yo-yo dieting adds weight because your body thinks that it goes into starvation mm. mode and it thinks that there's a problem going on. And so it actually, instead of losing the weight, which ultimately you want to do, it piles on the weight. You add, you you gain weight because your body thinks mm-hmm. that you, it's like in this fight or flight yeah. place and it thinks that you're something's wrong. So you end up gaining weight. But somebody as big as yeah. Tess Holiday, like she, that's not, you know, you wouldn't see somebody that big in, you know, hundreds of years ago, you know. It, Correct. So it has a lot to do with the foods exactly yeah. that we are eating. It has to do with perhaps a more sedentary lifestyle. Maybe we're not being as active. Maybe she's not being as active. It's such a, I, I it's such a point a of contention. Topic, yeah. It's such a sticky topic. Um, but I, 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 it's one that's being pushed big time because... Yeah. Um, the, you know, we do have, it's an epidemic obesity, especially, you know, in America and and in the UK too. And, and my, you know, um, my sort of mentor and, and supervisor, you know, says that, you know, obesity is a, is a problem that we can see and anorexia is, uh, is equally a problem that we can't see. Right. So there's both, both sides of the spectrum are problematic. Um, one's one we can look at. And, yeah. and notice people and the praise other these models that are anorexic in magazines and this and that and it's something that people see as this like glorious yeah. thing yeah. and that's also so unhealthy it's so unhealthy so we don't know what's going yeah. on in that person's you know makeup also we don't know and just because you look again just because you look a certain way doesn't mean that uh, that it's all it's all mm. great inside it's yeah. often not skinny or obese yeah that's so true. Mm. My stance on it basically is good for her for being so confident. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think, you know, everybody should be confident. You know, if if she's, you know, on her path to becoming a healthier version of herself and she says that she's working out and eating well and stuff, great. Good role model mm. for, you know, other obese women who, who want to see, you know, people their size doing that. Um, but, yeah, if you're promoting eating an insane calorific unhealthy diet without any vegetables and just like mm-hmm. unhealthy yeah. and you're promoting a like sedentary life and and that unhealthy kind of aspect then I don't think it's okay no. but yeah yeah all right this has been such an interesting conversation we're at 45 minutes wow. I have one last question for yes. you yes can I ask this to a lot of my guests um I'm obsessed with morning routines as you could probably tell and um I like to always ask the successful people that I interview about theirs. So let's just say you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed one morning. What do you do that ensures that you'll bounce back and have an amazing day? 
I think it's a great question. Um, and I love to talk about my morning routine because I happen to be a morning person. So I am really happy in the morning. Um, I like being up alone and quiet in the morning. It's my time where I can be up and nobody else is up in the house. I'm assured of that. So I wake up at about quarter to six every morning my, and naturally. So I don't have an alarm and I do have it on, but my, I wake up probably around 530, 545. And I, for over a year now, I've been meditating every morning. So I sit and I do headspace um, for either 10 or 15 minutes. And I sit in my closet and um, to try to not disturb my husband. And I, and I meditate for 10 minutes. And, I, um, and it sets my day. It really yeah. does help me to be alone and quiet and working and having a routine. Um, and I love it. It's I amazing. love to be up and get a lot done in the morning. I'm the same. I love yeah. a good morning. I yeah. get all my, my best yeah. work done in the morning. Yep. I've oh. been trying the 5 a.m. thing for a bit. I've read this book. I actually have it with me. Um, Robin Sharma, 5 a.m. Club. Yeah, I don't know it. I'm interviewing him next month. I'm obsessed Ooh, with him. That's exciting. So, yeah. That's so cool. He's like so big. He wrote wow. uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. You know those books? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. He's like one of the biggest authors awesome. in the world. And I'm literally obsessed with this book. That's so I'm fun. so What's excited. What's he say? Too. What, what is? Um, his whole thing is being like a top achiever and being world class. And mm. it's very like motivational book, but also very personal growthy at the same time. And mm. it's kind of written in a story. And it's just really amazing. That's it's great. the first book that I've read um, front cover to back cover in like so long. Mm. Usually I kind of stop right before the end. But it's just like amazing. So... <laughs> It's very, yeah. it's very funny, too, because I think morning people tend to be annoying to non-morning people. I think it really irritates yeah. the rest of my house that I am because none of them are. So I, But I love the morning. I think there's a little bit of, you know, maybe smugness around being up before everybody else and well, having yeah, that also, time. Oh. Totally. It's yeah. the same thing with like, oh, like you know, look, the career you've created for yourself and other people that don't ha- don't have what they want might be like, oh, you know what I mean? I think with anything that's desirable in life, there's always going to be people that are like, oh, what are you doing? That's insane. Mm. My boyfriend <laughs> hates it when I wake up at 5 a.m. He's like, you're insane. I'm like, well, yeah, you, I know you want to do it. So I know you <laughs> wish you could. No, I'm kidding. But the mean. truth is we all have different yeah. biological clocks. Like, that, that is right? true as well. We, we happen to be perhaps people who can do that. Yeah. But other people really, like my husband's a night owl. Yeah. And he could. And yeah. if he produces his best work yeah. at night too, like that's, that's fine as yep. well, I think, for yep. sure. All right, guys, go check out Holly. You can find her at her website, uh, hollyrubin.com. Holly is spelt with an I instead of a Y. And you can also find her at the Holly Rubin on Instagram and on Twitter. Have an amazing day. Thanks, guys.